This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe. I'm Aaron Bentley. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Nate, a.k.a. Epitasis. What's up, Nate? Hello, Aaron. Hello, listeners, friends, family, uh, gathered dignitaries. Uh, I'm eating some maple-flavored bacon jerky. Okay. Uh, Walgreens store brand. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, what's up with you? Do you have any family members who know that the podcast exists? I don't think so. I'm pretty sure I don't. Okay. I, I've had some uh, family members at times follow my Twitter account. I think I've pretty much e- evaded or eluded all of them uh, at this point. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty confident because I do. I have one of my family members as uh, part of her employment has started producing a podcast for like a larger podcast network, like a significant podcast network. So sometimes this goes around the family emails uh, and they talk about, oh, wow, it's so cool, a podcast. And I'm like, yeah, it's neat. And I just avoid it. Uh, We got to get on this podcast network. (laughs) I I don't know that this podcast network would uh, would, would have much interest in our subject matter of choice. That's too bad. I'm very sad to hear that, considering this great connection that you have. Oh, well. Uh, Mike is also here. Mike, I want to ask you what's up. I also want to know, do you have any family connections that could really be good for this podcast? I mean, hey, y'all. It's your old pal, Aaron Mike Spears. I mean, I do and I don't. I'm going to leave it as that. My family, (laughs) however, is aware of the podcast as we've had family members of mine on the show. So, yes, it is a different situation entirely. Nate, I I have to ask you, we haven't had an update in a while, buddy. How are the succulents? Um, The succulents exist as much this week as they did last week, uh, (laughs) to quote a a great thinker. Um, Yeah, they, they are due for a watering so i should do that this weekend uh yesterday i did pull one of my succulents over here while i was watching the AEW uh because i got a new jimmy lloyd sticker oh hell and yeah. my my largest plant here i have used its planter for a home to all my various stickers which are things like uh how ming sticker got a ddt english update sticker my hikari noah autograph sticker and now i've got on there next to the Neo uh, Ito Respect Army sticker. I have a giant sticker of Jimmy Lloyd's bloody face. I, I think that's fitting, though. I mean, right next. I, I think that Maki Ito would be a Jimmy Lloyd fan. I think she would like the different boy if she knew him. Or as much as Maki Ito does tolerate people. Yeah. I, uh, I was thinking of your succulents last night, Nate, because for the show, uh, at Glitchbat on Twitter, who made the the well-known Momo Watanabe keychain, custom keychain that I ordered. 
uh, they post they did a post last night with with some of their succulents in the background. That's uh, cool. Showing off some new charms that they got, and I thought, I wonder how these stack up to Nate's succulents. It's kind of what I was. I was uh, there's this gimmick going around that was like share a window or something. I don't know. Leon was tweeting about it, where you go to a website and, and it gives you like a video feed of somebody's window, and you go, you know, browsing for windows or whatever. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess I could submit my windowsill full of succulents. Uh, but then it really seems kind of pointless all in all. So I didn't. Okay. Well, maybe we'll be able to get Nate to post some pictures of the succulents at everything AEW. Uh, if anything, it's going to be exclusive Patreon content. <laughs> there we go. Let's monetize it, baby. Let's go. That's a good idea. If, if uh, that makes you mad, just send a message to at Epitasis. I'm at Aaron like the card. Nate. Oh, no. Shit, I'm doing my patter, but I've also already said Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji. Hey, yeah. You can subscribe to the podcast. Please do. You get these as soon as they come out. Give us a rating and review if you're on the Apple Podcast app. And if you want to support the show and get a little bonus audio for your trouble, you can go to patreon.com slash everything elite. On this show, we're going to run down, fight for the fallen. We'll play elite or delete. And we will also talk about the ratings. And I guess that's it. We're going to talk a little bit about, uh, we'll run down the card for, for next week's show, of course, as we always do. Let's get it started with elite. Or delete. Delete. Elite. Delete. Elite. Delete. Elite. Elite. Delete. Elite. Delete. 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 If you're new to the show, and I'm sure you are, this is a pretty high-level bit, wherein elite means something you thought was really good from the show, and delete means something you thought was really bad from the show. Uh, we we generally start with Nate on this segment. So Nate, tell us what was your elite pick from Fight for the Fallen. My elite pick um, was a pretty controversial segment. I think maybe the most controversial thing on the show here. Uh, it was the Chris Jericho and Orange Cassidy angle that they ran here with the whole inner circle coming out doing their you know comedic patter, um, all that shtick. And uh, Orange Cassidy coming out and doing a blued bloodbath. Did I say brood or did I say blued? You said blued for sure. Blued, yeah. <laughs> I, I thought I'd made it through. Like I, I came right up on those words and I was like, oh, this is harder to say than you might expect. Brood bloodbath, uh, but with orange juice because his gimmick is that he has the same name as the fruit, which is used to create that juice. That's the gimmick. Uh, and it was very funny. I think mostly this show had, a, I thought, a lot of good, really good wrestling that was like a little bit snake bitten. It was like all these matches were like a half step from being great, if not for like one or two little botches or moments that just didn't come across super well in the moment. And for that reason, I thought that this very broad, very sports entertainment-y, you know, I don't want to say WWE-like segment, but obviously very uh, inspired by previous WWE angles. Uh, just kind of shown the most to me. And it was executed really well, mostly because Ortiz got drenched in orange juice 
and then took a big bump and swam around in it like he was uh, Gerald Briscoe getting uh, squirted with a beer hose or something. Uh, but it's funny because he can't swim. Yeah, the aspect of comedy that I feel like that the uh, inner circle have used over their time has been kind of remarkable in a lot of ways because, and I think you get to look at the top of the unit with Chris Jericho basically playing the 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 bereaved uh, or bereaved. Uh, not both of us are having issues today. Uh, male like uh, Danny McBride in the vein of like Kenny Powers and the other characters like this, and then even now reaching to a point where he's like Ignatius O'Reilly and everyone kind of feeds off that. I feel like, I mean, I did not expect Ortiz to be like this funny of a person and it's been an absolute delight. And then like Jericho the entire time, I mean, talking for the rest of the show about it ruined his $7,000 jacket, which is just fantastic. Cause that looks like something he bought at a Spencer gifts and Ortiz swimming in orange juice. And then everything about it, like, I was of the mindset, at least, that we had the blow off. That is it, and now it's like okay. Now we, we're going to have like round two happening sometime, maybe sooner rather than later. And it definitely like I think it's something that after the show last week, I was wondering like, is this it for Orange Cassie? Like, is a major thing, and you know, it's not. And I ended up like I came around towards this like basically as soon as like Cassidy came out here, I felt like this this angle was just complete gold. Yeah, you know, I have complained about the comedic elements of the inner circle in the past because there is a line where they just become too clownish and, you know, you forget that they're supposed to be taken seriously as like ass kickers or whatever. Uh, And maybe it's, you know, this segment in particular didn't bother me just because, you know, we just saw Jericho get a big win on TV last week uh, and, you know, hit the guy with a bat and did all that shit, et cetera. Uh, but yeah, they, they've reset it enough in my mind that uh, the comedic things did not chafe on me here. Um, although, and, and you know, it's also, there's no Mike Tyson around to be super goofy because uh, that appears to be just dropped. So uh, yeah, what'd you think, AB? Well, I think we should address the, the most controversial part of this segment, which of course was the demo god portion of the Chris Jericho promo. So I, I kind of have two thoughts about the demo god. One is that it's very funny to me when Chris Jericho is just like an absolute dumbass, you know, like that's enjoyable. And it's kind of what you want out of Chris Jericho, right? This iteration of Chris Jericho. My only real issue with it is that there's like, okay, it's like when there used to be crowds at AW, I would often complain that I thought they they did things too much for the live crowd versus the TV crowd. In that there's a certain type of person who would go to the shows and they uh, did things that all those people would understand. Like when they bring out DDP, it's like, well, does anybody watching on TV really care about DDP, for example? So on this, it's like, how many people have any fucking clue what he's talking about or what it means? Why are they injecting this into their television show for like the very small part of the audience that even understands it? Because it rules. I feel like, I mean, I feel like the whole audience knows that they're in competition with WWE. Maybe they don't know the demo wars in particular about that wrestling war. But, you know, that's that's kind of the fun is Chris Jericho, uh, you know, hammering home that point because he wants to educate people about why he's better than NXT or whatever. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, it's a little specific, but I do think the audience is aware of the wrestling war. I mean, I think that's true because it's obvious that like they're both on Wednesday night. So I mean, I think everybody gets that, that they're on at the exact same time. I just, it was a little in the weeds, but when he started, and so at first when he started, I was like, uh-oh. But then when he got into, you know, the advertisers and the prime demo want this rematch, then it was very funny to me. <laughs> so yes, uh, I thought the demo God stuff was great. There was a half beat where I was like, oh no. But then that, that immediate reaction kind of fueled my, my further reflection on it and going, oh no, this is actually very funny because people are going to be extremely mad and it is the right and we talked about this previously, and I'll ask you about this. It's the right level of pettiness where he's just being so extra and so specific and so petty about this wrestling war and the people in his menchies. Um, but on that topic, you had a problem when MJF the other week said, oh, you know, I drive ratings. We're in a ratings war. You thought that was not the correct level of pettiness. Is there what differentiates those for you? Well, one, of course, as I mentioned then one thing that differentiates it is that i like chris jericho and i don't like mjf um when he first started i did like generally my thought is that it pulls aw down to ref to even pretend that they're in a ratings war with nxt and some of that comes from the fact that you know one of the the attacks people make is that well nxt is not even main wwe you know so then it's like all right, AEW is acknowledging that they can only compete with NXT and not with Raw or SmackDown, which of course would be insane because Raw and SmackDown are like however many decades long properties and, you know, it's a totally different thing. But that's really my problem with it, even though I do enjoy the pettiness. And I, I've, perhaps the thing that I enjoy the most is that when he said it, uh, as you were referencing, Nate, I knew that all the dumbest people on Twitter would <laughs> would really hate it. And so that brought me a level of joy. That's my pettiness that I enjoy. I, I, I mean, anything that's going to allow me to make an overly elaborate bit based on uh, Igmar Bergman's Seventh Seal is something that I'm going to get behind. And I'm just going to just like beat it like a dead horse because I think it's hilarious. Uh, it, it's something, though, that... At what point do we stop calling NXT, though, the developmental brand when they've had basically everyone save Roman Reigns on that program? That when they, when they basically based part of the WrestleMania build about, oh, if we get Charlotte back on NXT, that's going to help. Like, at what point do we drop that? Oh, it's not a developmental show. I don't, I don't think that's uh, a reasonable thing to argue at this point. I, I, I just, it, it's something that with... Jericho really should have been the only person on air, I feel like, to bring it up here because he does have the level of pettiness that has been a central part of Chris Jericho's character since WCW, really, that he's an incredibly petty person. So the fact that he brought it up, I'm totally fine with, especially in comparison to like MJF, where it just comes off like just unlikable when he brought it up there, whereas Jericho, you're like, all right, yeah, no, Jericho, you're the Dimbo God. You fully believe you are the Dimbo God. After, after months of Joe Lanza, Brandon Thurston, and myself pouring over spreadsheets we somehow alchemically been able to divine the demo god and that's fine so it, it's something that i feel like that if it since it's chris jericho it makes it work whereas with mjf like bringing that up it just kind of came off a little bit just missing the mark in a way i i don't know if this is true if we look at the data but um 
it's also just true for Chris Jericho that his segments, you know, perform especially well. And I don't know that MJF has that same level of, you know, quarter hour uh, appeal where him saying that, you know, you can also go, oh, well, that's stupid and cringy or whatever. But, the, you know, he is actually right. You know, he is beating NXT in the demo by himself or whatever. So, um, yeah. Also, this uh, it's, it's kind of easiest, easy for us to take the position of this being good, that segment being good, and uh, the catchphrase being good. Now that we have seen the ratings uh, and seen NXT have its worst ever demo performance, um, so you know we're kind of uh, kind of taking the easy way out because if they'd come back and NXT had crawled closer and had you know been threatening them in the main demo, then uh, obviously this wouldn't look as good. The best outcome to me is that Jericho's segment lost in the demo, or at least was like below the rest of the segments on the show i think that would be very funny no that would that would have ruled <laughs> all right mike what's your elite pick so as the most on brand person alive my elite pick was the trios match between the elite and jurassic express uh, they, i think it's pretty well known how much i enjoy both a tag team sprint and multiple like like not two on twos but three on threes and four on fours and i thought this match on a show that really had some peaks and valleys, I thought this match was something really special. I like the the idea that each week they're going to do an even more insane version of the Canadian Destroyer is something that amuses me greatly. And you know, it's something where it's going to be interesting. I feel like to see where like both of these teams go from here because they definitely now have some character motivation, some differentiation between Kenny and the Young Bucks, which is going to be really interesting. And then. The, the thing that's always going to that, that I follow and I find real interesting is more and more like you're starting to see like how protected Jungle Boy is and like how particular they are with a lot of things on the program. And it just like all came together to be like my favorite tag match on the night and, you know, extremely my kind of thing. And I mean, Kenny snapping afterwards. And also you could do a lot of Kenny's moves look extra brutal when you're doing to someone who's five foot one and 120 pounds and that owned. So I, I love this match. This was, if it wasn't for like how strong the TNT title match was this week, and then the eight man last week, this probably would have been my favorite match out of this block of three special shows. Yeah, this was really good. I uh, Aaron could have jumped in. I did have a mouthful of the aforementioned maple uh, bacon jerky, as was yeah, probably I- evident on cam. I thought you were finishing up just in time and to and approaching to make your point. <laughs> no, that was I was trying to uh trying to communicate that visually. Uh but you know, what was fun about this I thought is how much shine, as you mentioned, they gave to Jungle Boy, but even even Marco they gave a lot. And then Luchasaurus, you know, again, you can imagine the huge reaction that Luchasaurus's one on three comeback would have gotten in this. Uh and this was also a match that Rewards you if you're a BTE viewer or a BTE quick hits listener, uh, just because they had a lot of continuity to BTE segments here, which makes sense with the three guys involved. Um, you had, of course, Kenny is getting on the verge of snapping because he uh, basically keeps having Colt Cabana get the best of him, and that has led to Mookie Ghana getting the best of him and Rick Knox getting the best of him, and he's basically uh, you know realized that he's below everybody on the roster, so it's led him to be on the verge of snapping and doing a murder. Uh, And then, of course, the uh, long segment with Super Panda drilling Luchasaurus on how to do a Canadian Destroyer 
uh, because that would be necessary to beat the elite. Uh, and we saw the payoff for that with Luchasaurus at least uh, being a construction block for the Canadian destroyer, I guess. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I, I'm not the Kenny heel turn is like, they are really playing to their uh, Reddit audience demographic. I, I was going to say there. Um, I don't know that. I don't know. It, se- it seems like a little bit of a step backwards. It seems a little bit like, Oh, well we can't turn page now because we, we got, we, we, we made so much hay out of uh page become this big baby face for the team. Uh, but we got to turn somebody here. So maybe let's turn Kenny. And I, I don't know. It just feels a little, uh, artificial if you're intrigued by oh what are the bte quick hits uh let me just tell you go over to patreon.com slash everything elite you'll find out all about them nate breaks down all the big vlog action for us weekly yeah I do, we do have to come up with a better name because they're not particularly quick the uh <laughs> the original premise was i would just hit like story stuff out of the show that's you know maybe important going forward now i pretty much am just doing recaps um about all of them and uh, taking it as my personal time to talk about whatever I want to, uh, which on the most recent episode was a lot of Ricky Rockman. So, yeah, maybe need a new sort of uh, name for the BTE segment. Well, to be fair, AEW Light, which is the program we're discussing, was originally supposed to be like 15 minutes, and now it's turned into basically an hour of just <laughs> all three of us on our bullshit. So it, it's fitting that we've gone away from the plot there. It's just extra content for our fans, that's all. Uh, so I'm just going to roll this into my elite pick because my elite pick is the the tease of a Kenny heel turn. I like this. So my thing about it is Kenny, I mean, my long standing opinion has been that they kind of fucked up Kenny from the beginning of this promotion. So now you're at this weird point where you built him back up with the tag team with Adam Page. I thought that really worked out nicely as far as reintroducing him as like a a major uh, character, a major player. And then that all kind of got destroyed by COVID. You know, you kind of lost a lot for for both of these guys. So now you need something interesting on top. You have Mox as your champion. You don't really have a lot of strong people to challenge Mox. I mean, I think every time we've talked about it, we've kind of come down to, well, maybe MJF is the next challenger. And I'm not sure that anybody believes MJF is quite ready to be the champion. So that seems a little soon. You have this built-in Omega Moxley feud that's already played out a little bit. So you could could heat that back up with a Kenny heel turn. But more importantly, I, I don't think Kenny ever ends up as a heel, to be frank. But adding a little bit of intrigue to the Kenny character is nice because I feel like he hasn't had much since he's been part of AEW. Yeah, I think that's entirely fair, and it's something that if you were to do like a tier list of AEW wrestlers, and you would do it on like the face-heel divide, you'd see that right now the heel side is very weak up top, and it's weak to the point of that we had to talk ourselves into Brian Cage uh, defeating John Moxley yesterday, and having just the opportunity to have someone who would be like an S-tier heel person that could face John Moxley provides a little bit more intrigue than I think like we've been getting used to along with John Moxley. So that's interesting. I mean, really like the we're to a point now with John Moxley and I, and I know I'm using your point to talk about Moxley a little bit, but 
having someone like that in the wings and that kind of opportunity, I feel like provides a level of finality and challenge that John Moxley would need if Kenny was so disposed to do this. I don't know if I necessarily buy entirely into it. It does seem that other than Kenny snapping a little bit, his main uh, character concern right now is the fact that Hangman's new friends are jerks to him. And I think that that might be the more immediate thing leading up to FTR versus Hangman and Omega. But I'm much more interested if down the line we do get to see the Omega heel turn. Yeah, I got, on the point of the artificiality that I mentioned of Kenny maybe teasing, you know, some heelishness here, I think it's just a symptom of his full, the full breadth of his personality kind of being exposed to us in the in the BTE era and, and then this promotion here. Um, and I think that's kind of what makes it feel just like a put on and, and we're, we're not really going to get the, uh, you know, uh, uh, Halcyon fuck. Did I get that? Halcyon, Halcyon days of Kenny Omega as the cleaner that like the Reddit people want, like, you know, a, a lot of Japanese wrestling benefits from the fact that we don't know the guys all that well. And we can just like, put Tanahashi up on a pedestal and be like, okay, all these tiny little bits of information we get about Tanahashi from, you know, uh, the promotions website and his interviews or whatever, uh, fit feed this idea of him being, you know, a superstar. And we don't get his dumbass tweets and we don't get his dumbass like tweets and all this shit. Uh, and we don't get him being, you know, unbelievably hammy on a YouTube show. Um, and you kind of can't, put the genie back in the bottle on that. Like you can't get super badass Kenny Omega doing a dive into the third row and Steve Carino, um, you know, that everyone is longing for. Uh, Cause like we just see him being a total goofball and doing crazy. I have to pee my pants face on BTE and then, you know, just being who he is on Twitter. Um, you know, it just is kind of exposed in that way. So like you can be heel but he's just a guy playing a heel. It's like, you know, there's no aura there. It's also something that the exact, like, cleaner, best bout machine, heelish nature had in New Japan can't be replicated in a promotion where, like, you can't have him being going out all out for 52 weeks a year and then whatever special events as well. Like, I think part of the reason why it was such, like, a big mark was, like, every three months he would have this insane match. And, you know, just the nature of the programming, you can't make that happen. Like, on top of... You being absolutely right about the genie can't game put back in the bottle in some fashion, or he had to take a, nef- a different slant on it. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, I think that's a, a fair point as far as the the New Japan star making uh, machine, of course, uh, is in uh, rare form because they treat their guys like stars. I mean, it, it feels like you know, as a New Japan still feels like how I felt watching the big American wrestlers as a kid, you know, all I knew about them was what I got from official channels. And, you know, we get a little more of that from uh, new Japan, even the, the native talent, but that is, it is very carefully handed to us. You know, we're not getting just like an all out look uh, into their lives. So there's really something to be said for that. I mean, there's been talk, you know, for years about indie stars and like who, who really hangs out with the fans and, you know, glad hands with the fans versus the guys who just kind of uh, have their match and leave and, and how that helps you develop more of a star aura. And it's, 
but it's hard though because there's like two different types of stars nowadays, right? Because you you can be that kind of star where yeah. you're too big for everything, and then there's like the the Brian Danielson star who like everybody loves because they feel like they know him and want to root for him. And Kenny's problem, I think, more so is that he wants to be the Brian Danielson star, but people don't actually like him as a person that much. <laughs> like he he comes across as so strange that it's hard to like really be invested in uh, whatever his real name is, the person. Yeah. Um, there, there, it's a weird dichotomy because on the exact same program, we have the young bucks who are not really hurt by this same issue. Like they exposed every part of their lives and their children and families and all this stuff. And are also doing very goofy bits on BTE, but it hasn't hurt them. I think just cause it's baked into their character maybe. And you know, them being like little pissants from their, you know, original time being heels on the Indies. Um, but then for Kenny, it's just, you know, he came from a different place and was on a different level. And like, it it just it comes off differently for that reason. But also, like the stuff about the young bucks that's unlikable, they have turned into their part of their character. So you almost can't dislike them for those things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, with with Kenny, I don't get the sense that like all the stuff that people bitch about about Kenny that it's like, well, he, he's never tried to make it into like who he is. You know, with the Bucks, it's like, yeah, we are cocky. We do think we're the best. Yeah. Bob, you know, they've kind of played that up. Or Kenny's just like a nerd, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's just a weird authenticity thing or something where the yeah. Young Bucks do these bits and you still, you can still see, like, you can still understand, like, or get an idea of, like, who Matt Jackson is, even when he's doing, like, this protracted comedy bit. And I think, yeah, Kenny just goes so over the top. Um, that he he it just removes you it, yeah he, he's not becoming more like brian danielson where he seems like somebody that you know and you want to root for yeah it just sort of like pushes you the opposite way uh uh and you, you would rather have him be unknowable in some way right I, I, and i hate to keep belaboring this but i keep like i think this is interesting and i keep thinking about things but who the bucks really are or at least the people that they show us they really are is a wrestling character is a, an archetype that we can get behind. I think who Kenny Omega really is, is not a big likable babyface character. So when he exposes himself, it just makes us less likely to buy into him as a big star uh, versus what the Bucks are, if that makes any sense. That's kind yeah, of I think where I come down on it. All right. Well, uh, tell us, Nate, what your uh, delete pick from this show is. Okay. My delete pick is... The new Demo God t-shirt on the Shop AEW store. Uh, it's just a picture of Chris Jericho, and it says Demo God above it. Uh, and it's him in his expensive $7,000 jacket. I did. He was doing a lot of rock stuff. Did you guys notice that? He was just quoting straight from the rock promos about the expensive shirt and something else he said there. Uh, but we need, we need some real statistics core art design on this t-shirt. We need crafts. We need the Showbuzz Daily Excel spreadsheet. Um, we, they should have brought Mookie Ghana in on this and been like, Mookie, can you give us some uh, correlation coefficients that we can put here on the Demo God shirt to really get over the fact that he's winning the demo? Yeah, I just imagine if it has a giant R equals positive one on it, just like pull full on correlation coefficient stuff. Um, 
it, it's something where you could probably do a very big and elaborate bit if you truly want to do it about analytically figuring out what would be the most like the t-shirt that people would most likely buy for it and then him saying like this i've done the science studies i have the charts to back this up here as the demo god this is the demo shirt and it goes like this like there's ways they could play off of that but yeah no it's very similar and very samey to a lot of the other merch options i think that when i saw it i was like that's funny but you know there was never even like the thought that crossed my head of that's funny enough for me to buy even though it's a ridiculous and terrible shirt yeah the title at least should be like an excel cell maybe green to, <laughs> to represent that it's above the average performance right and that could be the demo god just you know a wealth of opportunities there that they didn't capitalize on although i have to give them some credit for putting the shirt out before ratings came out i mean a real big <laughs> real power move, move. that's yeah. power right there yeah. yeah i like that mike your delete pick for this week uh, my delete pick for this week, and this will be one that can be proven wrong in future weeks if I turn out to be wrong about this, uh, is Vicky Guerrero as Nyla's manager. And we've been proven wrong that some of these managers have ended up being really cool, like specifically Taz as like an old star coming back to this. But Nyla's not someone who really needed a manager to begin with. So I'm wondering, like, how are they going to make this into something that's going to... Uh, benefit nyla and help her elevation other than her point of look at how everyone else has championships after getting a manager like and i mean now you're to the extent that basically the only person with a manager without a championship it went boils down to it is sean spears but i just don't see like like the like taz made an immediate thing that made his mentorship of brian cage work Tully Blanchard, for however you feel about Sean Spears, it makes sense why Tully Blanchard is his manager. Arn Anderson, we have all the familiar things and like the idea that he's someone that has the history and the mind for it. What exactly is Vicky Guerrero going to be bringing to the table for Nyla Rose? She could already cut great promos. Nyla's one of the, one, I think, one of the, like, the more naturally charismatic people on the roster. So what is she going to be there for other than like cheating? So I... I, I, I we all kind of saw this coming and it, and it was like, I thought this, I saw this is coming and I'm still disappointed. And I mean, that was kind of like my big takeaway from it that I don't know where this is going to go. And I don't really have much enthusiasm for where it can go. Yeah. Don't really have anything positive to say about it. I guess her music is funny. Um, but you know, I don't know what Vicky brings to the table except being a familiar face. I don't know <laughs> that you know, teens, WWE fans are going to be like, Oh, Vicky's back. I got to check out AEW. It's really, I really had a fond memories of the Vicky and I don't even know, Teddy long angles. Uh, edge was involved. You La know, Familia. La with Familia the with the edge heads. Sure. Yeah. Um, don't, don't, don't get it. Seems unnecessary. Uh, I mean, I'm happy for Vicky to get a payday and uh, hopefully work for a company who will treat her a lot better than WWE did. But yeah, no, I, I kind of, I did all my takes on this last week, I think, you know, of just kind of seeing it coming and not being excited about it. So, or perhaps that was on the, the Patreon. I don't know, but I have talked about it. Oh, I guess it's my turn. Yeah. What, what do you hate? I'll tell you what I hate. No Farrah Brothers. 
on this show. <laughs> it's bullshit. Uh, it irritates me. And it made me want to turn the channel. I can't believe they did so well in the demo without bringing the absolute Gen Z superstars, uh, the Farrah brothers, onto this show. What a letdown. Just really just disheartening to see. Like You're, you're trying to give back to your community, but you don't bring in the biggest figures of the Jacksonville community. We had no Jacksonville on this show. We had no Fair Brothers. I mean, how else are we supposed to know that they were in Duval County last night? Like, come on. You have to have them in the front row, just completely obliterated, cheering and booing. I mean, I'd much rather have them in the front row by themselves on the face side than, than I guess, Joey Janelle in a face mask the entire night. Like, let's get let's get Eddie, and I believe I forget what the other Fair Brothers' name is, but let's get Eddie Fair back out there. I hope Eddie Fair is doing well, by the way. Oh, they're doing well. Trust me. They're the Farrah brothers. All right. That's elite or delete. Let's talk about the ratings quickly. AEW. I mean, we've kind of referred to this already, but a big jump for AEW. Higher at least than the last three that I have on this sheet. So that's up for them uh, from a 715 to a 788 in overall viewers up to fifth in the demo with a 0.29. Three straight weeks, right, at 0.28 or 0.29, so good for them in the in the demo. And NXT had a massive drop from 759,000 to 631,000. They had three shows that all did really well, uh, but I'm starting to think that they, they blew all the big uh, things that they had, and, and now they're out of ideas. Uh, down to 49th in the demo with a 0.14, so... AEW more than doubled uh, them in the demo. Uh, yeah, bad showing for NXT. The demo god has been summoned. Some will burn, all will pay. We are living in the era of the demo god. And here's some stuff that I looked up for this little this little uh, ratings quarter, AB, that I don't have on the run sheet, but I just wanted to let you know about like how this how how remarkable this week was. So this was the most viewers that they've had since the double or nothing uh, uh, fallout episode on May 27th, and this is their highest uh, performing demo week since then, uh, this was the last week of the challenge. So that's going to be this. And this was against pretty, like, this was a competitive night This the on last night, on Wednesday, the 15th. We had a UFC fight card. It was from Fight Island, but it was considered kind of a lower-tier card that they beat outright. There was the NASCAR All-Star Race at the lovely Bristol Motor Speedway that completely the, that AEW did pretty well with. And I mean, the, the true brutal opponent, I know Nate, you were always like, it's going to be NBA versus AEW. But we've learned that the true brutal opponent for AEW is Guy's Grocery Games. AEW vanquished Guy Fieri this week. And just to like put a little cherry on top of it, uh, just like how remarkable week this was, the uh, just like the sub demos of 0.02 for NXT's men from between the age of 12 and 34, AEW 10 times that sub demo, which is that's a scary thing and a pretty remarkable thing for AEW. And then people 18 to 34, AEW tripled. So remarkable night. All hail the the demo god. May destruction come swiftly to their enemies. Have to agree. Have to agree with that. Uh, you know, I'm trying to come up with a joke here about, I, I understand from um, Shift F1 that Guy Fieri hates eggs. 
<laughs> no, no, no. I think I understand that. Uh, what show did I hear that on? I don't know, but he hates eggs, right? Sure. Anybody with me on this? No. I guess he'll like go, you know, he goes around the places and eats at their fucking restaurants or whatever. Sure, yeah. And he'll be like, okay, I want this, but I don't want egg on it. And sometimes I guess the person will just be like, sorry, dude, it fucking comes with egg. So, <laughs> and he will just like pick it up and take it off or whatever. Very funny. What a weird guy. Anyway, well, you, nailed, you nailed that joke. AEW, <laughs> all, all egg wrestling, I guess, is where I'm going with this. Okay. So there was actually a joke. Okay. There we go. Yeah. Proud of you. AB's joke of the week. Joke week, of the week. 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 <laughs> all right. So thinking about sound bites to drop in on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll we'll work on that. Okay. Five for the fall and run down the whole show. We opened up with the TNT championship match, uh, the open challenge that, of course, we learned Tony Khan picks the opponents for. Very open challenge. Cody defeated Sonny Kiss with the crossroads. Yeah, this match match owned. Oh, go ahead, Nate. That's all. Okay. Uh, No, this match owned. I thought that Sonny, like seeing where Sonny was on the pre-show for Fight for the Fallen last year and seeing him progress, like getting a title match in, Having one of the uh, better TNT title defenses, I thought that this this they really brought it, and I thought Sony Sunny took like a huge step forward, and then and you could definitely see like after after a while of like Sunny Kiss and how he was bucking like this, you were like, okay, he has something, but I wonder if it's ever going to break out. This could have ended up being his breakout performance, and this is something that three years ago, from three years from now, when we do like this is. Sunny Kiss, this will be one of like the big matches and turning points I feel like we'll talk about. Yeah, this was uh this was really good. Um uh, these open challenges have been good, I think, in giving some of their like tag team guys or undercard people just a little bit of an opportunity to show like, hey, I'm I'm like pretty talented in my own right. You should maybe keep an eye on me, and that's a good way to just sort of have some investment in your sunny kisses and your Mark Wins going forward. Uh there was really annoying thing. I, you know, I'm very over the Arn Anderson bit. Uh, Cody comes out at the beginning of this match and he's like being a dick and kind of heelish and, you know, attacking as soon as the bell rings and this shit. And, you know, basically, you know, having his way with Sunny Kiss uh, because of that. And then Arn, like, <laughs> Arn stops him outside and he's like, hey, get your head out of your ass. You're going to lose or whatever because you're being a dick and you're not thinking. And him doing this causes Sunny Kiss to get the advantage on Cody and take control of the match. It's just like, okay, so he's, I don't know. What's the point of your coach there? It seems like pretty bad advice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, the Arn Anderson part sucks really bad. Uh, the cool part about this to me was just, I mean, getting a really good showing of how far Sunny Kiss has come from the beginning of this promotion. I don't know what Sonny's doing to, to work on his craft, but it's obviously going really well. I hope that others, in the promotion are going along with whatever Sonny's doing, you know, to, to get so much better. I think the, the big, like the thing that's going to separate Sonny eventually is once he gets things a little smoother, like when he can transition between moves a little, a little quicker uh, from spot to spot a little quicker, but he's made so much progress on that. If you go back and watch that Sonny kiss Brandon Cutler or a uh, Peter Avalon match from the first fight for the fallen and see how much smoother Sonny is now. I mean, it's out of this world. Uh, you know, Mike was the one who really was um, really behind Sonny from the very beginning, you know, even as early as that match. 
And I think I wasn't sure he could even be as good as he is now. And it's just, you, you can see now that he, even I can see now that he's going to be an absolutely huge star. He should be. They had a lot of uh, shots of Tully scouting during this match, which again is also going to annoy me because Tully is managing Sean Spears. Uh, but they obviously are, you know, hinting or you know, teasing or trying to swerve us on the idea of Cody and some Tully involvement. Well, they're definitely trying to tell us that Cody and Sean Spears and FTR is going to be the the four horsemen. Uh, because- well, I don't know because we also see Sean or we see FTR palling around with Hangman. Uh, yes, you know, it, it seems like Sean Spears would be the odd man out there, but he just gave him the famous glove. Yes, so that Barry Windham also wore. Yeah, legendary. Yeah, automatically makes me super invested in Mister Ten Sean Spears. Uh, next up, FTR defeated the Lucha Brothers. Dax, I think, rolled up Phoenix. Yeah, it was Dax who did the mask grip. And yes. Yeah. Uh, and then I, let me just quickly go through the post match, and then we can talk about everything all together. FTR, Butcher and the Blade. Uh, FTR is still in the ring. Butcher and the Blade are out by, you know, the FTR truck that they stole. Uh, They're taunting each other back and forth. The Bucks come up behind Butcher and Blade. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. They give him a double super kick. Uh, Kenny comes out, but like from backstage more. Uh, the Bucks, I guess, get the keys from uh, the truck and take them into the ring to hand them to FTR. Kenny has a cooler. He hands them beers. They have taken a Sharpie to the beer cans to mark out the light logo. <laughs> <laughs> they should have just put an E next to it. I don't know why they didn't think of that. Then it could have been elite beer. That would have been good. Just thought of that. That's AB's joke of the week, part two. AB's joke of the week, part two. It's <laughs> uh, like... It, it, it looks like they're all going to drink the beers together, which is a little weird. Kenny, you know, a famous non-drinker. Uh, but instead, FTR pours their beers on Kenny's head. Kenny gets very mad. FTR goes to their truck, but they cannot get it started. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that was another little hiccup. They had, uh, you know, Penta and Phoenix had a little hiccup doing one of their double team moves right at the beginning of this. Um yeah, this was pretty much what I expected. There was a lot to like here. Uh, you didn't really get the story of, oh, we're going to do a Southern-style tag and uh, not going to do all this fast-paced modern wrestling stuff or whatever it is that their gimmick is. Um, but, you know, I thought it was a pretty pretty clever finish. Um, you know, gave a little bit of coverage to the Lucha Brothers, uh, but still kept FTR strong. Um, 
so you know it, it was a successful segment in that regard you know i don't think it achieved any dream match levels or anything yeah uh i actually after the vicky thing this probably would have been my delete of the week just because of there were a lot of things that i feel like that production wise they made basically all four guys there look like complete like assholes for lack of a better word the the car not starting and then not like cutting to the table and being like oh the car's not starting take camera this one just because it made them look like dorks and then the fact that like phoenix got unmasked and they tried it it felt like that they didn't clue in people and you basically saw phoenix unmasked like for the various things they didn't have like a towel or something like this and you didn't call dq on a mask grip like come on like this is it's one of those things that like i wish they kind of would have done or they they make that a point of the fact that that actually is something that you get dq for doing in mexico even in triple a for a mask grip so that i was, mean it, it shouldn't that, be my frustration though match right that. oh it is it absolutely should be well we're not DQ. in mexico the promotion can set their own rules i i think they should dq do no dqs for kicking too much ass but dq for mask grips that's completely irresponsible they're masked like your district that's like would you say like a mask grip is like one of the more disrespectful things you could do to like in can in the ring to like a mass wrestler? Sure, but you know, do disrespectful things in wrestling all the time. So but it's not you know, if it we're pretending that it's a uh you know, actual sporting contest and one guy is wrestling in a shirt and the other guy rips his shirt off, it, you know, it's not a disqualification. You just remove part of his gear. But in other actual sporting events, when you when you interfere with like their equipment or like things like this, you do get called on it. Like that, there is things like yeah, this, but like it's not essential and... equipment. It's like uh... it is very essential equipment. It's part of their identity. No, it hides their identity, but it's not essential to the, the, the their performance of wrestling. Yeah, I mean, you know, in a real sport, you wouldn't have masked competitors. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, if they can make the call that it's not going to be a DQ, they just have to be consistent with that going forward, uh, which is, you know, it, it's kind of, I thought, a clever finish because it was the old, you know, oh, we have different rules for throwing a guy over the top rope. It's a disqualification under this set of rules and not a disqualification under this set of rules. Um, and they can sort of use that to half-ass fix their way out of a finish. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was kind of clever. They can be like, oh, well, you know, Lucha Brothers, they would have won this match in Mexico, but in, under AEW rules, FDR wins. Okay, here's my take. Uh, I'm I'm not getting I'm not wading into the mask waters, but here's my take. FTR, Lucha Brothers, Young Bucks, Hangman and Page, Butcher and the Blade. Who are the good guys? There's uh, nobody to root for in this story. The Young Bucks are good guys. The, I mean, the elite's good guys. Hangman Page, you've argued strongly, is a huge good guy. Yeah, but then and you Omega, see Omega did like one slightly heelish thing on this show. Yeah, but it's like, but in this, in the story that they're telling, who are they trying to show us is like we're supposed to to root for them because like uh, the young bucks are kind of dicks to FTR. I mean, Matt Jackson came out last week and like cut a, a dickish promo on FTR. Uh, they try to have it both ways with most of these teams with Lucha Brothers, with Young Bucks, with FTR, Hangman and Page, and. Well, we never there's there's not a single team for us to be like oh got to really get behind them and hope they win. It just it's just a story that is is nonsensical to me. Well, the Bucks are a special case that I would pull completely out of this because as I've argued a lot, 
in their core they are heels but they're cheered for being who they are so like like just like subtextually like they don't really apply here because no matter what they're going to be seen as faces at least in theory by an audience like and that's always been the case for the young bucks pretty much dating from like 2013 like they are heels but the crowd loves them for being heels so but like everyone else on this like like the most aggrieved party in all this should be ftr because they have had their trucks stolen for about a month and they finally get their hands on people who helped seal the truck and now they got their keys back but they're assholes everyone else like there's no like this is something that if like private party was really on the up and up they would be like the the babyface team here right yeah, I mean, they have, you know, uh, Sonny and Janela's babyface team, Lucha Express's babyface team. Yeah, I just mean uh, in this, the, in this Yeah, story. no, I know. Yeah, I mean, the, the top people, and I think this has been a theme throughout the promotion, they just don't make a sharp distinction. They want to have it, like you said, both ways and do shades of gray or whatever. And it's varying degrees of success throughout. You know, the page stuff was really interesting and really fun, and he caught on as a big babyface in that way. Uh, Mike's totally right that the Young Bucks like and Kenny Omega really became beloved because they were being snarky dicks and, you know, kind of bad guys or whatever, uh, but and turned babyface in that way. Um, yeah, I, I, I Lucha Brothers, Butcher and the Blade are for sure heels. I think the Elite is meant to be faces, especially without Cody. And the FTR is just like a chaos element. Yeah, I just don't like it. I just think it's a bad story. I think they're doing a bad job telling whatever story they're trying to tell. Next up, the inner circle came out. They're drinking orange juice. They're celebrating the big win over Orange Cassidy. Jericho says last week he had one of the best matches in AW history against Orange Cassidy. Not only did he win the match, he won the ratings war as well. He schools us all on the 18 to 49. Demo says he's never been beaten in that demo because he is the king of ratings, the demo god. Uh, then he talks about how everybody is saying they love the match, saw something in orange they'd never seen before. Everybody wants a rematch. And he says, we aren't getting a rematch because orange had his chance. He did good, but not good enough. The fans start chanting that Chris Jericho is scared. It's the first time we've had like a, a response to the crowd moment in a, in a promo in a long time. Jericho says the demo God is never scared. Now orange can go back to hugging his best friends and remembering what it's like to be a main eventer. He pours a drink of orange juice out for Orange's dead career. Orange's music hits. He emerges from the concourse. Jericho tells him, you did good. You showed you can go, but you don't have what it takes because you're lazy and you have a bad attitude. So there will never be a rematch. Uh, you can take your sunglasses off, fold them up, shove them straight up your ass and get the hell that, out of my that arena. Was that was definitely rock a rock. Yeah, yes. he took all this straight from the rock. Yes. Uh, Orange does not leave. Uh, and instead, Orange does the thumbs up and then the thumbs down in just a brutal move. Of course, Orange he took Cassidy. that right from Batista. Yes. Or, or Sammy Callahan, take your pick. <laughs> and Jericho says, what are you going to do, Orange? And that's when Orange Juice spills from the rafters down on the inner circle. Uh, Jericho says, this jacket costs $7,000. Somebody throw me a towel, but it's an Orange Cassidy towel. This, uh, it sounds dumber than it, than it felt. It is. I mean, it's for sure dumb. It felt, <laughs> it felt dumb, but it was just the right side of dumb for me on this yeah. particular night. You know, sometimes, sometimes it hits for you, and sometimes it doesn't. Yes. All right. The Jurassic Express was backstage with Alex Marvez. 
Marco Stunt thought the inner circle getting doused in orange juice was very funny. Luchasaurus does the dime, the dumb dinosaur thing that he does. And that leads into the elite defeating Jurassic Express. Kenny penned Marco Stunt after a one-winged angel and a particularly brutal-looking one-winged angel. Uh, after the match, Kenny started beating down Marco, and the Bucks had to stop him. And Kenny did a uh, video game anime bad guy face. <laughs> Okay, Hikaru Shida is backstage with Alex Marvez. She's got her AEW Heels shirt on. I've got one myself that I keep, you know, just in case I'm going to be on the uh, win a date with Hikaru Shida game. Alex Marvez. I Mar- mean, now you have something that you can say, like, you have the shirt, I have the shirt. You know, you might get a leg up in the game that way. Right, we've got something in common, you know? There you go, yeah. Alex Marvez says four of the top five women are out for various reasons. That includes Yuka Sakazaki, I assume. Is she still ranked? I'm going to check to see if Yuka Sakazaki is still ranked. I've not checked in a while, but this is genuinely my favorite thing about the rankings is if Yuka Sakazaki yeah. is still ranked. So so Alex asks if she's ready to have a rematch with Nyla. I guess that's the only only person left. Sheeta says sure, but it doesn't have to be Nyla. And she puts out a challenge for any woman to to wrestle her. She basically says there's so few. We, we have so few women now that I'll take on anybody. <laughs> Guys, I have some really bad news. Don't tell me this. Yuka Sakazaki is not ranked in the AEW's women's division any longer. Apparently, the amount of inactivity you're allowed to have is about five months. <laughs> tell us, what's the top five? Oh, I was already searching to see when she got taken off the rankings, but the top five in the AEW women's division are Nala Rose at 7-2 is number one. Big Swole at 5-3 and three is number two. Penelope Ford at 4-4 four and four is number three. Uh, Chris Statlander at four and four is number four, and Dr. Britt Baker DMD is four and four, and in fifth place is ranked fifth. Okay, so only Penelope, I guess, is well, no, so that's fucking wrong. Four of the five aren't out. No, yeah. Well, Swole, is Swole suspended, or was that just last week? Uh, I have not heard. We've not had the committee meeting saying if she's back or not, but also, I mean. Not only do you have like that, I mean, that's making the supposition that Penelope Ford and Nyla Rose are both unable to wrestle. Like three of the top five as of that happened. Let me look at last week's rankings to see if they changed it because she did say in that ranking. Uh, she, she should wrestle Rebel. That's what well, I mean. Yeah, I mean, Rebel. I mean, <laughs> well, absolutely. Stardom veteran. Rebel. We, all, we all know who she's about to wrestle. The legend. <laughs> have a pretty good idea. Yeah. The legend, Ivelisse. Could be a good match. Be careful. It's going to be you, something. You, listen. Listen closely. All right. Ivelisse is good. <laughs> That's right. I said wow. We will finally find out if Trevor, the Irish wrestling fan, listens to this podcast. Or the bad boy, Casey. That's right. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, we, I think we've uh, referenced Trevor pretty explicitly enough previously <laughs> that we would have found out by now. I think we can say that he does not. By the way, guys, on... Uh, Yuka Sakazaki was finally removed from the rankings on Wednesday, June 17th. So that was like six months after her most recent match. So that's, I'm not part in charge of rankings. I just helped decide titles. So that's beyond me. Very sad for the magical girl, but a really good promo here from Sheeta in English. You really have to uh, be impressed by Sheeta's skills here. I mean, Hikaru Sheeta rules. She does. Like, like in it, and we get to. She's the first person since Pentagon to get to go say she wants to be shown this. Show her. Show 
Hikarashita that you could come after her. So I, right. I enjoyed it a lot. Then we had a John Moxley promo. He says the last few weeks haven't gone well. He's very upset. Tonight he gets to get his frustrations out by hitting and being hit. He says you can't take anything for granted. Tonight he's got a hell of a challenge coming from Brian Cage. And according to Technique by Taz, he won't be able to do a paradigm shift because Cage is too big. So he says, fine, he'll just rip his surgically repaired bicep in two. Was like, oh yeah, hey, it's it's nice to have somebody who's off TV and you like miss them and they come back and you're like, oh yeah. Okay, cool. I get to see John Moxley do his little thing now. It's like novel. Yeah. I I love John Moxley's ability to for the last fifteen years to find a uh, just a construction area in every town he's in to cut a promo against. So I think that's a good trope that wherever they go after everything, he you need to find like a construction site for John Moxley to cut a promo at. That's his established aesthetic. But yeah, Moxley's usually someone who's very hit or miss with me with promos, and I feel like this was a pretty solid one in the buildup for the match and became pretty important for the world title match. Next up, the Nightmare Sisters, Brandy Rhodes and Allie, defeated MJ Jenkins and Kenzie Page. Allie pinned MJ. I, I think this is the first time seeing MJ Jenkins since she was released from NXT. Yes. Uh, after the match, Dustin did not want to raise Allie's hand, but he did. It's like very annoyed that the bunny has been dropped. Just no acknowledgement. Um, you know, it, obviously this is a story that is going somewhere, or at least relationship that we think is going somewhere. But the Butcher and the Blade seem to be other eyes occupied. They're not worried about Dustin and QT. So, you know, what is the aim here of the bunny just insinuating herself into this weird unit? Because QT, Nice gear, though. Very good gear. Because QT is a dumb guy who thinks that he has a chance with this person who's obviously married and she's just going to take him for a ride. So good for Allie, you know, cutie. I mean, is is she, is she taking his millions of dollars? What's, what's, what's the aim of her ride? She got him to buy a brand new Corvette. Was a Corvette or a Mustang? I'm sorry, I'm not a car guy. She also got the nightmare family jacket out of it. Yeah. Nightmare. Yes. This happened on dark. They've promoted the best thing from dark onto the main show. And I'm very pleased. Um, I mean, maybe Pepper Parks is like looking ahead to uh, getting a hold of, of QT's wrestling school. You know, he's trying to plan out his post wrestling career. And maybe that's what it is. He's going to get Allie's name on the lease. There we go. I got nothing, yeah. man. It's so it's weird because <laughs> QT is like so QT like maybe had COVID a few weeks ago. Right. And oh, no, he had it. But he was according to DEP, he was only sick for three days. Yeah, so but the time has passed. We still right. haven't seen him back on. I, I mean, I can only believe that he hasn't. Well, he has to have tested negative by now. So I don't know where he is. That story's not happening, but we're continuing on with the Nightmare Sisters. The previously mentioned friend of the show, Trevor, the Irish wrestling fan, suggests Brandy's getting uh, more control in, in the women's division again. I don't know what's happening. You Can't did say. update your spreadsheet, though, right? I did. If you're a patron, you, you've heard my lengthy breakdown of the power struggle over the women's division and you know it's up in the air right now of who's who's pulling the strings speaking of the women's division nyla was out next with dasha uh she says nyla says she's not going to tell anyone anything about her manager she's going to let that person say it themselves it's vicky guerrero she hits uh the, the famous catchphrase that everybody loves excuse me dasha asks vicky what her strategy is 
Vicky asks, why would she tell anyone her strategy? But since she's Nyla's manager, now she has a message for the women's locker room. Stop lying to yourself about how good you are. You'll never be smart enough to cheat to win. Nyla is going to steal every opportunity you've ever dreamed of. I'm finishing all of them like that on this show. <laughs> Vicky's theme's a banger. That's like the only positive I have is that Vicky's theme goes. I mean, yeah, I guess what they're going to do here is just have Vicky help her be more nefarious, right? Yeah, but it's kind of not the role she should be doing anyway, because she's the monster heel. Like her thing, she yeah. has, she's larger and she crushes everyone and has superior strength and all this stuff. She's been the fucking champion. I mean, it's not like she can't get to the top of the mountain, you know? I will accept this relationship if and only if um, the way she exploits Vicky as her manager is just she uses her as a weapon and like she pulls Vicky into the ring and like throws her at Riho or whatever and just uses her as a battering ram or a javelin of some kind. Uh, that would be acceptable to me. Everything else is a downgrade. Try to figure out how she can make that top rope leg drop more frog splash like. Uh, to to play on the the Guerrero thing, but that's yeah. it's already cool enough as the leg drop. Yeah, I don't know. This is mm. it's probably not going to be good. Yep. In the main event, John Moxley defeated Brian Cage. Uh, before the I guess I should have included this before the match. Before the match, Taz had a promo. He said, "You know, you're out here chirping that Brian Cage isn't 100. percent While you were sitting at home with your little wifey, this guy was wrestling a full schedule." Uh, yeah, then John Moxley won. Taz threw in the towel while Moxley had Cage in an arm bar. Let's talk about the match first, and then we'll talk about the post-match. Yeah, um, I've kind of come to, like, realization that as much as I enjoy John Moxley as a character, when he's not wrestling with a lot of plunder, I'm not as interested. Like, like this turned out to be a decent match, but it just was something that, like, there was, like, all the arm work that it made sense that he brought up, like, the surgically repaired bicep. But I was just kind of, like, checked out of that at that point. And then it turned out to be, like, pretty. Like, I like the idea that Taz, of course, is going to have uh, Cage's best interest. And he doesn't want him to, like, get his arm re-injured. So he threw in the towel. Like, I like that justification. And I think that shows Taz being a very smart manager. But the match itself, it wasn't for me. Like, I love, I love sprints and I love plunder. And this, sadly, was neither of that. Yeah, I liked, I guess I, in theory, liked the finish. You know, they gave us enough uh, uh, justification for why Taz would throw the uh, the towel in. Uh, you know, if there's anything you want to say about Cage, you could probably say that, oh, he's injury prone. And, you know, they hammered that home in the promo earlier with Moxley. Uh, of course, it makes sense that Taz would have a towel to throw in because he always wears a towel. He, of course, invented towels. So that all fit perfectly. Um I, and you know, it, it gives you a little bit of coverage to say, oh, well, Cage didn't tap out. He didn't get pinned. He's still the FTW champion. He's still a big deal, et cetera. Um, it, it just felt, you know, too cute by half doing this and the mask removal finish on the same show. It's like you have two clever cheat finishes to get out of beating somebody clean. Uh, you know, if you do them on the same show at the same time, they just, each one means a little less. Uh, and you know, that's an ongoing theme. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe this show was meant to be last week, so you wouldn't have that problem, but, or this match was meant to be last week rather. So you wouldn't have that problem. Um, but yeah, um, it was refreshing to see John Moxley, like I said, uh, 
and thought the match was competent. Can you just throw any towel into the ring during a pro wrestling match, and that means you're giving up on behalf of the of the wrestler that with which you, you are to, aligned? You have to have a, a yeah. You have to have a existing alignment. You have to register with the office that you are aligned with this person. I it's, think first. It's very dumb because, like in boxing, there's a reason. Like, there's always a towel there. You know, the corner yeah. man has this towel because they're going to use it to wipe the guy. You know, in between rounds or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then here it, in wrestling, it's just like, ah, eh, this person randomly had a towel, so we we just worked it into the story and threw it in. I just, I don't know. It's a little ad hoc for me. It's, uh, I think it's like a sort of charming weird wrestling thing that they took it directly from boxing without really examining the purpose of it and that's like a (laughs) weird wrestling idiosyncrasy like so many of the other ones yeah and it's existed now for so long that people are like oh yeah and you throw in the towel like that's that's a phrase that's a turn of phrase that's used like when just as easily Taz could say we forfeit we forfeit and as a manager he'd be able to to forfeit the match. Yeah, he so. could go to the no longer goth ring girl and uh, ring bell girl and just tell her, you know, ring the bell. Right. Also works, you know, better visually for television or people in the rafters to have yeah. a flying object. Yeah. That's right, true. Yeah. And the fact that it's like a bright orange towel, like pops, pops on the camera. I actually, yeah. if, if um, the story becomes that Taz throws a towel in, rather than let cage ever take a loss yeah i love it like imagine <laughs> imagine cage is, is on a two count and kaz throws the towel in rather than <laughs> count three. i think that's brilliant okay that life. i would really like that would oh i think that's what they should do like for seriously and say like the ftw titled like he does like one of his wild never, been pinned, never submitted yeah it, it, he does it like one of the uh the wildcat tile defenses of the FTW title and it and he throws in the towel against someone. It's like, no, the title belt does not change hands on forfeit. Does not change hands on this. Like you could really like rules lawyer this into something really funny. Yeah, it takes a one winged angel and he's got a two count and the and then the towel lands on Omega's head. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is this is a money heel uh, act here. And then yeah. the baby face would be entirely pissed because they feel like that they that they were cheapened out of the win because they want to get like the win to prove that they're best. Like this is easy booking, guys. Like TK sliding our DMs. We we have just figured out how Brian Cage be booked for the next year. After the match, Taz hit Mox. Is that right? Did Taz hit Mox with the FTW title, or did Cage hit Mox with the FTW title? Card says Taz hits Mox. Oh, I know that's what I wrote, but I'm wondering if that is actually what happened. Well, I'm going. I'm relying on you here. So what happened was Taz hit Mox with the <laughs> FTW title. Uh, then it, it had to be fucking Brian Cage because then he attacked him. Had to be Brian Cage. Anyway, the lights went out. When the lights come back, we see Darby Allen. He's on the top rope. He's got a skateboard. He jumps off and hits Brian Cage with the skateboard. Yeah, makes sense. You know they were building this story. You know before the title challenge and everything. So, um, thoughts on doing the lights out return with no crowd. Yeah. Very dumb without a crowd. Yeah. Just kind of cringe. You're like, Oh yeah, we're, we're back doing this again. Okay. Like when he could like come in from like outside and jump in the ring and be just as effective. It is every time I, I've yet to learn that I should not be excited for the lights out, but I still do my <laughs> mind. My mind races. The lights go out. And I go, oh, who could it be? Like, and I, you know, just start pulling. Oh, it's fucking Tyson or gonna or something, you know. Just start pulling from the deepest off the board choices. I, I then... mainly, 
the natural one is lights go out and Sabu's there. I mean, that would have been appropriate, and been I would have lost my fucking mind. <laughs> um, Sabu is less canceled than Darby at this point, I think. So, uh, you know, it would have been less problematic if it was Sabu. Uh, and yeah, now I'm really upset that didn't happen. <laughs> I just like, I don't know. You get pretty excited about things, but I really like, that's like something I don't expect out of Nate to be like, Oh shit! What's what's about to happen? Like I really like that idea. That's that's fun for me. <laughs> now I want him to do lights out every show. Yeah, but then you know After I'm gonna I'm gonna unlearn that behavior <laughs> through this television show. That hasn't happened yet, Nate. <laughs> We're getting there. I mean, they, when they did Orange, Orange was a delivery. They delivered on the lights out promise when it was Orange. Yes, that's true. Um, they, and they have loved other than that. It's been the Dark Order and yeah. They've loved turning the lights out in this promotion. That's for sure. All right. If you enjoy the show, you've enjoyed all the the free episodes that we've put out and you'd like to support the show in some way, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash everything elite. We've got three tiers at which you can subscribe. And in exchange, you'll get a lot of bonus audio. We do uh, lots of shows every month. Uh, including a weekly Dynamite preview that also includes the BTE Not-So-Quick Hits, where Nate breaks down all the the big vlog action from around the world. Uh, And this past week on Monday, we dropped a Fight for the Fallen retrospective. We looked back at last year's Fight for the Fallen and then previewed this year's show. It's a lot of fun for me, I hope, for the listeners to go back and kind of see what's happened over, over the last year. And it's just a good reminder of some things like realizing that Sonny Kiss had been in that, like the opening buy-in match. And now you get to see him. Yeah. Still in the opening match, but in a title match only one year later, it's just fun to be able to tell those stories. Uh, yeah. And uh, didn't, didn't shout out that they had the roar of the Jaguar return also. And that was a fun detail. That's right. No Jackson DeVille as, as Mike mentioned, but we did have the roar of the Jaguar. Can't believe no Jackson DeVille. He must be still he's, healed. He's, I was say he's selling uh, Jericho's Judas Effect. Yeah, he's still, of course, of he's course. still almost two months later selling the Judas Effect. We've got, what, a few weeks left in this month. So we've got a few more ideas for what will be out this month. Uh, I'm not promising that this will come out this month, but there is a new episode of The Aarons coming soon. Aaron Taub is back from assignment and hopefully victorious again. And uh, we're gonna, we've got a new idea for a, a gimmick for how we're going to do The Aarons going forward. So look forward to that. Also, make sure if you're a Patreon subscriber or if after hearing this, you run and subscribe to the Patreon to also join our Discord. If you join at the $5, $8 tier, you can connect Patreon to Discord and then you'll pop right up into our channel. Uh, we do voice chats during Dark, during Dynamite, and we're just kind of always around there to, uh, to chat a little bit. So that's patreon.com slash everything elite. Next week on Dynamite, here's what we know. We're going to get Hangman Page versus five Allen Angels. Eva Lise makes her long-awaited AEW debut to take on Diamante. MJF is going to be in action. We're going to have with a- Wardlow. With Wardlow. That's right. I'm sorry. Sorry, Mike. I didn't mean to disrespect uh, War in his name. I mean... I know. If, if you're not going to bring up the fact that MJF's with Wardlow, then what are we even doing here? That's true. That's true. He is the he is the main part of that act. Uh, there's going to be a false count anywhere match. The Young Bucks taking on the Butcher and the Blade, and the Jurassic Express 
team of Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy will take on Chris Jericho and Jake Hager. After uh, Butcher and the Blade's wrestling career has finished, I hope they open a bed and breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that they have like a butcher shop on the on the side that they're able to like for your breakfast provide like a nice like country ham, I guess turkey bacon, or just bacon jerky. You know, I mean, th- this is an interesting show. Like, I'm really stoked to see Page versus Five Allen Angels. I think that's going to be something that would be a, really a whole lot of fun and we'll get have more discourse about how much of a match that Alan Angels takes. And this will be an interesting match. I'll be interested interesting show. I'd be interested to see because it looks like there probably will still be one or two more matches and you know what's gonna be next for Moxley, what's gonna be net what's gonna be next for Cody. I mean there's a lot of ways to go for this. Uh, shouts to Diamante for tweeting oh, recently yeah. That the women only get five minute matches at AW, tagging Kenny Omega in the tweet and still getting another booking. <laughs> getting another booking and then having a show that had like three women's segments on it when they've been very, uh, very lackluster with the percentage of women's uh, participation on the show. Watch, uh, watch Diamante lose in four minutes, 59 seconds now. I, say, I gotta say, if I'm Tony Khan or Kenny Omega or whoever is agenting this, there is no fucking chance it's going over five minutes. Not a chance. But I'm a very petty person, as we discussed earlier. Yeah, it looks like a good show. Mike and I will preview that on AW Lite next week on the Patreon. So subscribe and listen to that. Uh, what's, what's all my other stuff I usually say? If you want to get in touch with us at everything AEW, I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji. Hey, yeah. Subscribe to the podcast. Give us a five-star rating. And uh, yeah, that's right. And a review on the Apple Podcasts app and check out patreon.com slash everything elite. Anything else, guys, before we go? I mean, just everything. No. Yeah, no, everything, Aaron. We, we just yeah. did the whole show, man. Everything. I, I mean, uh, what's your feeling about uh, the seventh seal? Uh, you're going to out me as a fake film boy. Never seen Seventh Seal. Don't know that anybody was accusing you of being a film. No, boy. no, no. I never would have thought. That's not the first thought to describe you is is a film boy. So I mean, I I know some films. You know some. Films. I know a few films. Uh, let me yeah, see I know, your I know you do the uh, what is it? The New Year's Eve film marathons. Yeah, but that's for like that's for like goofy shit. Oh, okay. But What's I mean, on, what was on your last year's uh, New Year's Eve film marathon like? Maybe I'm being a bad friend, but I did not know you do a film marathon every New Year's Eve. Yeah, New Year's. Well, I didn't. We didn't do it this year because we were in Japan. Naturally. Um, well, we kind of did because we were on the flight. <laughs> we actually did. That's true. We we watched on the flight. I watched um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. Uh, Hustlers. All right. And actually, then I think I watched Senna, which was not really. I mean, Sen is a great gimmick. movie. Yeah, but we, we usually kind of watch some of the bigger like blockbusters or like goofy movies that we think will be fun, you know, from that year. Uh Does it looks keep like, it themed. Looks like in two thousand Okay, two thousand seventeen we did Get Out, Ingrid Goes West, Baby Driver, and The Big Sick. Real goofy movies right there. Yeah. Now do you have a log of this? Are you looking at old tweets or what's I'm here? looking at old tweets, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> Looking at all though, I keep a spreadsheet of uh, what we watch each New Year's. Uh, this past year, we did Crazy Rich Asians, Game Night, 
Ocean's Eight? Can't I do not remember watching that. I did. Ocean's Eight was uh, sneaky good. And Blockers was the last one. Okay. I actually, I, I think I watched Ocean's Eight maybe on the flight uh, to Japan because I'd I'd gone to see it in, in theaters and then the projector went out like in the last fifteen minutes of the movie, so just the whole fucking climax and finale I missed. Uh, so I put it back on on the flight. I think. Okay. Look, uh, Anne Hathaway. Yeah, I, I'm remembering it now. There's like a big party that they go to right at some point, and it's the uh, the Met Gala. Yeah. Uh, my tweet says, let me tell you about Ocean's 8, friends. There was a heist. A rollicking good time. I'm a rollicking good time. I think long-time EE listeners know that I love any sort of heist movie. I don't I think mean, I knew that. I wouldn't have pegged you as a heist boy. Yeah, um, we talked... Remember the, the, the Baby Driver? I mean, it was probably, you know, before that, when, we, when I did the uh, December of 18 yeah. marathon... Uh, because we talked about bank robberies and uh, Nick Gage, et cetera. Right. Well, everybody loves a, a bank robbery, so you're you're not alone there. Blockers. What was that about? That was it's the, the uh, Cena. Cena juvenile delinquency film. Yeah, it was the one that uh, Cena is a dad and he's trying to prevent oh, his yeah. daughter from having uh, teenage sex. Yeah, that was funny. I liked that. Um. Game Night, I, I wrote, was a perfect NYU marathon choice. Not great, but fun. I want to see Jason Bateman in a Terrence Malick film. I stand by that. Jason Bateman's had a weird run. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm just imagining, like, I think he eats up too much scenery to be a Malick boy. I don't think that he, like, and he doesn't do, like, ethereal that well. I mean, he's right. like I wouldn't... Ben Affleck. <laughs> He's not. I would not describe Jason Bateman as ethereal. I'm very with you there. <laughs> I mean, have you ever like watched very, Ozark? Uh, I think he plays no. the same. He plays the same character now in every single yeah, movie he's in. So like, I sure. can't see like transposing that into like Tree of Life, but instead of uh, Sean Penn, it's him. I can't see that. Okay, well, I would say he's much less ethereal than the Great Kali. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if we're talking about us? scenery eaters, you know, Sean Penn is is one. But like, um, but like Sean Penn does it in a way that you could definitely see it working with Malik versus uh, Jason Bateman is just like every single character he's played since Rest Development is a variant of Michael Bluth. Oh yeah, he's only ever played one character, that's for sure. But right. I think, but I think he's an excellent actor, Jason Bateman. Is he though? If he only plays one character, yes. I kind of think everybody on Arrested Development is bad in everything except Arrested Development. I think Jason Bateman is really good. Like he has this ability, the way that he de- delivers lines, it always feels so insanely natural. He's like great at the idea of like wrestling with something that he's trying to say and just like ah, barely being able to kind of spit it out. Like, I, don't know, I think he's really fucking good. He's a very natural actor. I'm going to push back on Nate's Arrested Development comment because Jessica Walter is a fantastic voice actor. Okay, voice acting doesn't really count. That's not that's not acting. Okay. <laughs> oh, All wow. right. Mike get fired up. <laughs> no, no, I think that voice acting is a different like skill in your skill set to be able to do voiceover work and be able to do voice acting. I think Jessica Walter like she does kind of play Jessica Walter in a lot of her voice acting roles, but I think she has a very like distinctive voice that I think is very complimentary when she voice does voice acting I want to be clear that i have no fucking clue who jessica walter is <laughs> she plays the mom 
Never watched it. She, she was on Dynasty. She, she, if you, she, if you she, like Jason Bateman doing naturalistic uh, uh, incredulity and being yeah. unable to come up with what to say next, you should probably watch Arrested Development, which is just that for like four seasons. He's like, uh, as everybody knows, I'm a big Up in the Air fan. He's great in Up in the Air. <laughs> that See, that I did know. Was that a Patreon episode where we talked about that at length? <laughs> yes, yeah. well, we did. We did because I'm, I'm pro Michael Clayton and anti Up in the uh, Air. And I'm anti Michael Clayton and pro Up in the Air. So that's just, yeah. there's two kinds of people in the world. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be anything else. Um, yeah. What else do I like? I mean, I like the, I mean, it got pretty goofy, but I like the Ozark. It's good. I, I'm off Ozark. I got off like the, the, well, when it got to a certain point where it looked like that, every image was like shot with like three full blue uh, gels on each light. I was like, I can't handle this anymore. Yeah, but for me, it's like, what the fuck else am I going to do? I've already watched like two seasons of this. I might as well just keep watching it. No, nothing's more powerful than just stop watching shows. Mm. Everyone just stop. Like, as soon as you feel like, just oh, stop I need watching to get, all shows. Just stop, just stop watching it. Like, stop watching it. Go on YouTube. Go watch like a Marble Race or go on Netflix. I'll give you a better thing to watch than Ozark on Netflix, everyone. Go watch Mucho Mucho More. It's a documentary about the Latinx uh, astrologer Walter Mercado. It's fantastic. One of the best things okay, I've seen Moro. this year. <laughs> Moro. I'm not letting Moro besmirch the good name of Walter Mercado. I, I've, I'm, uh, I'm watching Oragairu season three. That's all I'm watching. Okay, there we go. Not only have I just like really taken up for Jason Bateman on this show, but I always think to myself, like, I really like Jason Bateman. And so I pulled up his filmography. <laughs> okay. And I've seen like three of these movies ever <laughs> i know because they're all the same movie because he plays the same person since 1999 no, okay you gotta not you can't be so mad about that what's wrong with that it's boring yeah but if you're it's, good at something and it's like it's like matt damon i think is also an excellent actor even though he always plays the same character no, but he has matt a damon natural has range yeah matt, I think matt damon, damon has, has considerably more range oh i yeah. don't think so he's always the same person so, so, he, so he just saying... did a boston accent one time that's it so you're saying that that you think that Justin Bateman is a better actor than Matt Damon? I think he's Matt, Matt Damon in like in like Born and Matt Damon in like The Informant are totally yeah. different poles. But it's the same shit. It's not like no, totally different. different. It's entirely it's different. different. No, it's he's... actually displaying range. <laughs> okay, one of us on this show studied acting. Is all I'm saying. One and of us on the show went to I grad study school for film every theory. Time I, every time I watch something. Yeah, no. And studying film, that's bullshit, Mike. I mean, we're talking about acting. Not getting your dopey little camera and <laughs> filming people doing something real, acting. I'm talking about getting in front of the camera, getting in the arena, and acting. See, this is why we should just talk about hand-drawn animation that has the <laughs> dignity of being drawn by an artist and doesn't have so much acting in it. <laughs> I, I'm with you on there, Nate. What is? I mean, fuck, I don't even know what most. Hit me, yeah. Hit me, are. hit me with the Jason Bateman credit. Yeah, come on, let's right. do this. Uh, what about Paul? 2011's Paul. Saw that. Uh, was that with the Simon Pegg? Yeah, it's Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, the alien, the alien, maybe Seth Rogen. Yeah, I yeah. think I followed the director of that at the time. A, a Greg Matola joint. Greg Matola, who I think did. Uh, the Jesse Eisenberg, Kristen Stewart movie, Adventureland. Oh, really? Uh, I like Adventureland. Liked Adventureland quite a bit. Um, 
and there was a there was a time where I was walking around, I want to say the Lower East Side, and looking at my phone, and Greg Matola tweeted a picture of a billboard for Paul. Uh, and then I walked about two blocks and was standing in the exact same place where he had tweeted that picture from because I saw the billboard. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, Greg Matola was just here about four minutes ago. Uh, so there's my Paul, uh, my Paul thoughts. Not a, not a memorable movie at all. Uh, pretty middling. How about 2012's Disconnect? Never heard of it. Yeah, that sounds fake. Well, it explores how people experience the negative sides of modern communication technology by following three interconnecting stories. Okay. Uh, oh, oh, so it's like Crash, but about Twitter. It's like, fuck, God, did you guys ever see, and I can't speak French, but Jatéame? Jatéame. Jatéame. Yeah. You ever yeah. see that no. fucking yeah. piece of trash? I saw La Boom. Au revoir les enfants. Great movie. Um, Manon du Source. Saw that. Oh, Je t'aime Paris. Did you ever see yeah. that? Oh, Je t'aime Paris. Paris, Je t'aime? Paris, Je t'aime. Yeah, no, no that, that was I like... I have not seen that, but if, yeah, well known. It no. sucks fucking shit. And if, no, no. if Sarah's hearing me right now, she's going to murder me when I come out. She, like, yeah, loved well, this. And I was like, that was the biggest waste no, of my life. No, like, it was like the weird, like, when they everyone wanted to do, like, these compilation movies. Yeah. Like, most notably, like, Love Actually. Like, they like doing, like, these compilation, like, That's hiddenly good, That's interweave. Good, Is it? Yeah. They're not really the same, because Paris Chatem was uh, directed by different people. And Love Actually right. was one... Also, want to be clear coherent. that Nate started this by saying he's definitely not seen it. <laughs> Paris but he, yeah, but I know yeah. it was directed by multiple people. I think Natalie Portman yeah. directed part of it, or she did the New York one. New York, I love you. Same. Yeah. Idea. No. No. It. it, it compilation I like an anthology. Movies. Anthology. Yeah, anthology. I, like an anthology. Comp- I do. Uh, I'm not there. Was a good anthology movie. Uh, last one. Hmm, I don't know. I want to do a funnier one, maybe. I mean, were you going to do like horrible bosses? No, I mean, I think everybody knows that one. That delivered. Um, Peaks to Jason Sudeikis. 2015's The Family Fang. <laughs> no. What the fuck is that? This is everybody, everybody except you, Aaron, maybe uh, had their fill of Jason <laughs> Bateman by like 2009, I think. Yeah. This, uh, I don't think so, dude, because this guy's got a lot of fucking credits. Yeah, because he also like does stuff himself and self-finances and has money behind it doesn't mean that it's good it just means that he knows people that will make movies with him i didn't say any of these movies were good i just think he's good i like him personally as an actor and a person and as a person no i don't want i mean i fuck i don't know he's rich so i probably <laughs> hate him but uh all right okay that's my uh <laughs> I'm, glad we could, I'm glad we could revisit paul though because that's probably the most thought anyone's given paul <laughs> the film and you know 15 years it, including people that whenever they get their residual checks from paul yes all right well i'm glad we could uh talk a little about jason bateman sound off in the comments on your uh <laughs> jason bateman thoughts all right for mike for nate i'm aaron we'll see you next time
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.